Hello and welcome to the Medico Lifestyle Study Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr Jonas Hayes, I'm a Foundation Doctor. And my name is Emily Kelly and I'm a Graduate Entry Medical Student. Our weekly podcast aims to tackle tough medical topics in 30 minutes. Hello, welcome to our Study Medicine Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing diabetic ketoacidosis. We're going to cover all the most important aspects of the condition, including the presentation, pathophysiology and management. Um, We're going to be taking on our roles as doctor and medical student. So Jonas is going to be asking most of the questions to me, the medical student, and I'm going to see how much I can remember. And he's going to teach us about anything that I can't remember as well. We've also got some accompanying notes um, for our podcast as PDFs that are available to download from our website, medicolifestyle.com. Okay, so let's get started then. Our case today is that of a 19-year-old man who's a student. He's brought into A&E by his friends. Um, he is drowsy um, and he's got some deep, rapid breathing. Okay. So his friends tell you that he's got a history of type 1 diabetes. Right. Okay. Yep. And uh, so what other kind of questions would you like to ask his friends, get a bit more of a collateral history, and why would you like to ask those as well? Right. Okay. So 19-year-old diabetic type 1 diabetic yeah. student brought in by his friends and you're asking me to get a collateral history so yeah. from that he can't he can't really speak to you he's a bit drowsy right. he's too drowsy yeah. and breathing too rapidly to even speak to me yeah. so i need to ask his friends okay i'd want to ask his friends um whether they know what medication he normally takes for his diabetes and whether he'd taken it recently mm-hmm. um I'd want to ask his friends if they knew whether he'd ever had anything like this before, ever had any complications from his diabetes. They might they might know, they yeah. might not, I don't know. Um, whether they know if he'd been unwell recently. Yeah, why is that important? Um, because I know that um, type 1 diabetics can go into diabetic ketoacidosis if they've got an infection or an illness. Yeah, very well done. Yeah. Um, I'd want to know if they've been out drinking, because if he'd been out drinking, got really drunk, he might not have taken his insulin. Mm. Another reason why he might have diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah. Um, and whether he'd been eating and drinking normally. Yeah, so really good questions there, um, and quite a nice explanation for those as well. So you're kind of drawing together a picture of this gentleman uh, from his friend. Mm. Um, And you're looking at um, this case, you're kind of seeing what is a classical presentation of DKA. Yeah. So he's deep breathing, uh, deep rapid breathing, um, and he's a bit drowsy as well. Um, So his friends tell you, Mm -hmm. they give you a bit more history. They say that um, they were going out last night, um, they went out for some drinks, they're not sure whether he's taking his insulin or not. Um, And when they went to find him uh, in the morning, um, they found that he'd thrown up there was vomit in the room and he was as he is now drowsy and breathing deeply um so he hadn't been he hadn't been coming down for breakfast for Mm. the big sort of greasy sobering up breakfast yes so they went to check on him right yeah so that's why they've brought him here essentially yeah i suppose if there's vomit as well we could be concerned about if he's dehydrated yeah absolutely and that he could either be dehydrated i suppose because of the alcohol or because of another reason but mm. so he's got some of the kind of key presenting symptoms of dka yeah um other presenting symptoms so he's got the nausea and vomiting we've talked about yeah. um he's a known diabetic mm-hmm. um and dehydration uh we're going to assume that he's dehydrated if you've been out drinking you've thrown up then it's likely yeah. isn't it 
Um, he's also got a, a reduced level of consciousness. He's drowsy yeah. um, and he's hyperventilating. He's breathing deeply and rapidly. Um, and that type of breathing has a very special name. Do you know the name of that breathing? Oh, yeah. Uh, Kusmar breathing. Yes, yeah, so that's the, the type of breathing pattern. And also, um, when you go into the room, you can smell uh, something smells very funny on his breath. Do you know what causes the smell? Oh, like the ketones that diabetics produce, yeah. like the ketones of the ketoacidosis. So it's called acetone breath. So one of the ketones uh, which has that smell. Um, not everyone can smell it, in fact. Um, I've never been able to smell it. Um, though I'm not sure if it's one of those things like... Um, some smells you can Isn't smell. Isn't acetone nail varnish remover though? Yeah, yeah. You can smell nail varnish remover. I'm very sad. I, I I've been on uh, an internet uh, chat room to find other people who cannot smell diabetic ketoacidosis breath. There are others out there. But you can smell nail varnish remover, can't you? They can too. Oh. Very strange. Anyway, we won't <laughs> dwell on that one any longer. Okay, so. He's got some presenting symptoms of DKA, but what is diabetic ketoacidosis? How are we going to define DKA? I guess, like, the name itself defines it. It does. So you're diabetic, so you're going to have an element of hyperglycemia. Mm-hmm. Um, type 1 diabetic, we should say. Yeah, so uh, type, type 1 mostly, but uh, not necessarily. There are accounts of people with type 2 diabetes mm. um, getting developing DKA common. as well, but much less common. Okay. So you've got the hyperglycemia, mm-hmm. you've got ketones, mm-hmm. and you've got acidosis. So acidosis being like a metabolic acidosis. Yeah, absolutely. So it's characterised by those three things that you mentioned. So hyperglycemia, so having a blood glucose above 11 millimoles per litre, or being a known diabetic, and that's diabetes mellitus. Mm-hmm. Um, acidosis, so that's acidosis below a pH of 73 or a bicarbonate below 15 millimoles per litre. Okay. So that's another indicator of metabolic acidosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and ketones, so ketonemia, so ketones in the blood, so that's a blood ketone level uh, greater or equal to 3 millimoles per litre. Mm-hmm. Or if you do your urine dipstick, you find 2 plus plus uh, ketones in the urine. So you can look for ketones in the blood or the urine. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's those three things that make up that diagnosis of diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah. So worth thinking about other things then that can cause each of those metabolic derangements that might not be DKA and are more like your sort of differentials. Okay. So I'm just going to put it out there. Do you know anything else that causes acidosis? Um, acidosis. Yeah. So you can get a lactic acidosis? Yeah, lactic acidosis. That's quite a good one. So uh, if you've got hypoperfusion, so blood's not getting to areas, you can become anaerobically respiring and develop lactates, lactic acidosis that way. Mm -hmm. Good, that's like sepsis. Um, Anything else at all? Um, Like aspirin overdosing? Yes, absolutely. Salicylate poisoning can uh, cause an acidosis. And another one is uh, uremic acidosis. Oh, so if your uh, kidneys have failed and the kidneys normally excrete um, acid, so if your kidneys fail, it can become acidotic that way. Yeah. Other things then, um, what's another diabetic emergency that causes hyperglycemia? Oh, the um, HHS, hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state. Yeah, so that's another diabetic emergency that causes hyperglycemia, 
but isn't the same and is more often in type 2 diabetes. And you don't get ketones with that. That's the key point. Right. Yeah, you're not getting ketones. Okay. Um, so anything else that then just causes ketones or could cause ketoacidosis? Oh, you get ketones if you're starving, don't you? Starvation state. Like. Yeah, so we're going to talk about those pathways, uh, about <laughs> why you get ketones. Enough metabolic pathways. Yeah, uh, who doesn't love a good metabolic pathway? Um, so yeah, so ketosis, um, so that due to starvation. Um, there's also alcoholic ketosis. Okay, so... But what you're saying is the key point is that none of those things encompass all three. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So check out our notes. We've got a little Venn diagram. All three of them come together into DKA. Okay. All right, then. With that in mind, um, what are we thinking about investigations-wise? Okay, begin? so investigations, we always split into three. Mm-hmm. So we have bedside tests, imaging, and blood tests. Yep. So for this guy, um, bedside tests, uh, I'd probably give him an ECG because... Mm-hmm. You want to rule out other causes. Um, yeah, so what are you thinking there? So there are other things that can precipitate DKA. Yeah, like a ischemic event, like a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we probably wouldn't be, with the presentation of a 19-year-old otherwise fit and mm. well guy, you might not be as concerned about that as you would in an older patient or someone with more risk factors for mm. a heart attack, but... I think everyone would get an ECG to rule those things out. Good. Um, I then want to look at his like blood gas. Mm-hmm. So do an ABG or a VBG mm-hmm. to see his uh, like pH and his levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide in his blood. Yeah. Because that's how you look at your metabolic acidosis. Absolutely. Um, and um, we talked about looking in the urine for ketones. So mm-hmm. we do a urine dip. So that's the bedside test. Yeah, that's great. So that's bedside tests. Um any kind of blood tests that you want to do? Blood tests, um, I mean, he'd definitely get a full blood count and use an ease. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely glucose mm-hmm. and ketones. Yeah, absolutely. So a formal lab glucose, um, good thing to remember that your capillary glucose, so that might be something that you do initially when they come in. Um, is take a capillary glucose, a little finger prick. Mm-hmm. And that can be actually within 20% of their formal lab glucose. Uh, so you get a proper blood test to yeah. get a more accurate. Also to note, you do get a glucose measurement on a VBG or ABG as well. So you've got quite a few different points of oh, information there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know um, The other one, blood test wise, um, if we're talking about other precipitating conditions, so we talked about ischemic events can cause, can precipitate DKA. Um, what's the the main reason in this case do you think that's caused his DKA? Well, it sounds to me he's just not taking his insulin. Absolutely. So that is the most one of the most common reasons why people develop DKA. They they don't take their insulin. Yeah. Um, the other ones is infection. Mm-hmm. So infection is a very common precipitant. So you do blood cultures. Yeah, certainly if you were suspicious, um, you might do blood cultures. And they'll take a while. Leave for imaging as well. You yep. do a chest X-ray, rule out pneumonias. Yeah, yeah. So you, pneumonias and urine infections, really common infections that then can precipitate DKA. Hmm. Fantastic. Cool. Okay, so kind of we covered then precipitants, investigations. If we then um, to better understand DKA, yeah. we kind of have to know our background, how the normal blood glucose homeostasis works. Okay. 
sharp intake of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Are you happy with how does uh, the balance of insulin and glucagon work? Can you just remind everyone who's listening? Okay, so let's start from thinking about when we've got low blood glucose. So when you've got low blood glucose, uh, that stimulates the alpha cells in the pancreas to produce a hormone called glucagon from the alpha cells. And that in turn stimulates the liver and the muscle to convert glycogen into glucose. Great. And glycogen is how we store glucose. Good. So it like breaks down your sugar stores, which yep. are glycogen, into sugar that you can use. Good. What's the other way around then? So then if you've got... Let me not get this wrong now. If you've got high blood glucose, then you need insulin. Yes. So high blood glucose blood glucose levels stimulates insulin production from the beta cells in the pancreas. Mm-hmm. And that then makes the liver and the muscle cells convert the glucose into glycogen so you can then store it. Great. Very good, very good. So, yeah, that is the, how it works normally. Okay. So it all then gets a bit tricky. So when we have diabetic ketoacidosis, um, we go into this situation where we've got insulin deficiency. So that's normally an absolute deficiency in case of a type 1 diabetic, whereas mm-hmm. they're not producing any insulin. And if they stop taking their regular medication subcutaneous insulin, yeah. they will just have the, uh, the glucagon that hormone because the the whole point is that the beta cells in their pancreas no longer function it's autoimmune destruction yep that's classic type 1 diabetes yeah Yeah. so glucagon predominates and the effects of glucagon are gluconeogenesis which Mm -hmm. is making new glucose and that's from uh, a combination of lipolysis and proteolysis and glycogenolysis so breaking Breaking down down glycogen glycogen. yeah it's really hard here because there's lots of words that sound very similar yeah so that's what the glucagon is then doing as you said it's predominating because there's no insulin to inhibit it Mm -hmm. okay not only that we've also got uh in cases of physiological stress so if you've got an infection or an ischemic event or something like that you're going to have increased levels of Things like catecholamines, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol and growth hormone. um, And they also stimulate gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis. Okay? Yeah, gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis. Yeah. So it's like a double whammy. You're making new glucose. Yep. And you're breaking down glycogen. Yeah, to make more glucose, more glucose as well. So you just yeah. get more and more and more glucose. This is where our hypoglycemia <laughs> right. is coming yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see that now, actually. Happy? Yeah, so, yeah. So, okay, then. So we've already talked about glycogenolysis mm-hmm. because that's that's its normal role. The and liver those... breaking down glycogen into glucose. Yeah. Um, so your glycogen stores are getting used up. Now, lipolysis and proteolysis are mm-hmm. the other two key points here. Yep. So let's start with lipolysis. So it's yep. the breakdown of fats. So fats break down into glycerol and fatty acids. Mm-hmm. So the glycerol can be converted into glucose through some very complicated pathways. And the, <laughs> yeah, just Fair. go with it. And the fatty acids, they're the important part because they then get broken down into ketones or ketone bodies, we call them. And they're these three things. They are 
Acetone, which we've already discussed, gives you the smell. That nail varnish remover kind of smell. Absolutely. There's acetoacetic acid mm-hmm. uh, and beta-hydroxybutyric acid. Is anyone ever going to ask me that? Well, I've been practicing how to say them. So, <laughs> um, The point is with the acetoacetic acid and the beta-hydroxybutyric acid, they are both acidic. Yeah? So that's what's giving you that acidic picture the metabolic acidosis they are uh, acids which are which are in your bloodstream therefore um so they are driving that metabolic acidosis um and as we said the glycerol again driving hyperglycemia by Uh, making glucose yeah you make even more glucose yeah and then (laughs) what about proteolysis so you're breaking down proteins in your muscles and elsewhere into amino acids and they are then through another pathway essentially getting used for energy or getting used to make glucose so you know, more glucose, more glucose. Just in case you didn't have enough. Well, this is it because you haven't got insulin telling you to to start storing the stuff. Yeah. So it's just glucose, glucose, and more glucose. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So it's important then if we go back and look at our clinical picture. Mm. Um, our guy here, he's chugging away. He's got some really deep, rapid breathing going on. Yeah. Which we called Kusmal breathing, which mm-hmm. is that pattern, um, and that's compensating for his metabolic acidosis do you can you tell us why it's sort of compensating i suppose he's compensating with his deep rapid breathing because mm-hmm. he wants to blow off as much co2 as he can mm. so we say this yeah so he's blowing off his carbon dioxide so he's he's compensating with his respiratory system yeah. for his metabolic acidosis mm. Now, how that actually works in principle is down to this equation that we learned very early on uh, about carbon dioxide, carbonic acid, and bicarbonates and hydrogen ions. So it's this um, equilibrium, um, which is kind of governed by the enzyme carbonic anhydrase as well. Mm-hmm. So um, you essentially have um, on one side of this equation the bicarbonate and hydrogen ions, yeah, yeah which is your acid. In the middle they come together to be carbonic acid and that then in turn can become carbon dioxide and water. Yeah. Yeah. And when you are reducing your concentrations of carbon dioxide... Oh, then you're moving the equation that way. Yeah, so you're breathing off lots of that carbon dioxide. Yeah. So you'll see that the equation is going to go the way of the thing that you're you're getting rid of. Mm. So it's going to convert that acid, that that, um, acid more into carbonic acid and therefore more into carbon dioxide and it essentially lets you blow off that carbon dioxide that's how you do it that's how you blow off the carbon the dioxide the only time i've ever used my a-level chemistry since i've been at med school there you go there you are <laughs> that's why they made you do it yeah, that does make sense just though. for that equation yeah there we go <laughs> cool so that's why he's breathing so deeply the other thing that's really important to talk about is how dehydrated he is so we said it's a feature of the presentation um but it's really important in this point and you'll see when we get onto our management. Um, so these guys lose lots and lots of fluids through a process called osmotic diuresis. Yeah. So osmosis, so water moving towards areas of high solute or salt concentration, say. Yeah. Um, and um, it's down to to glycosuria. Mm-hmm. What's, do you know what glycosuria means? Like glucose in your urine. Yeah. Sugary wee. Mm. Okay. Because they used to like taste diabetic people's pee, right? Absolutely, yeah. Give a little sniff and the taste. Well, not can... that we do that anymore. No, no. Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> not done so much now. 
or if at all. Um, yeah, so, and that's down to a very interesting aspect because if you remember in the kidney, where do we um, sort of manage glucose? Um, in the proximal convoluted tubule? Yeah, so if you imagine, if you've got your nephron in your mind, uh, in your mind's eye, um, so glucose gets um, brought into the tubule yep. through ultrafiltration. So yep. Everything gets filtered into the tubule, yep. yeah. Um, and then it gets selectively reabsorbed. And the body's really good at selectively reabsorbing glucose because we want to. You're not meant to energy. pee any glucose out. No, like, not at all. Do that. No, that's a bad idea because it's yep. your energy source, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it does that through active transport. Mm-hmm. And so active transport has its limit. It has transporters... Are these things called S-glut and glut, which are uh, sodium glucose co-transporters. When you've got so much sugar, they get overwhelmed. Absolutely. And then you can't reabsorb all of it. Yeah, they get overwhelmed and water follows that uh, glucose. And so you are so weaning that's the out. osmosis thing. The water's going to go towards where that high concentration is. Absolutely. So and that's you're the... going to wee out your glucose. That is the osmotic diuresis. That's why they are so dehydrated as well. Well, they say that they need to pee all the time, like... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then, if we then think about how we're going to manage our patient. Yeah. So, what are, would our initial management be? Okay. So initially, walking into the room, you're going to yep. do that A to E approach. He's an unwell patient. Absolutely. You're going to want to check all his basic observations and, you know, help to come to your diagnosis. Yeah. So we've done that. We've established yep. that he's not hypoxic. Um, that yes, he's chugging away, but it's to do with that metabolic acidosis yeah we've diagnosed that pretty quick you've got some aims for how you want to manage this patient and how you're going to know once you're managing you've diagnosed well. your dka yeah yeah so you're going to want to reduce their blood ketones by about half a millimole per liter per hour mm-hmm. or it could be by increasing the venous bicarbonate by three millimoles per liter per hour or reducing their blood glucose by three millimoles per liter per hour so don't worry too much about those but it's something to think about what you're aiming for. Yeah. Um, so what can you think of as the key um, management strategies then? So you've told me that because of the osmotic diuresis, mm-hmm. these patients are really dehydrated. Absolutely. So I guess they're going to need fluids. Yeah. And um, fluid resuscitation is probably one of the key points here. Um, so they're likely to be quite hypovolemic. And so you need to measure their initial systolic blood pressure. And that then guides your management of how aggressively you're going to replace them with fluid. So you're going to start with something like a 500 mils of of 0.9% sodium chloride solution and give that quite quickly. If their systolic blood pressure is below 90, if it's quite low, if it's uh, higher than 90 or equal to 90, then you might start with a litre over an hour. And then there's kind of a, an ongoing fluid replacement strategy. Um, and that's obviously dependent on how and what how their blood pressure is doing. If it's low and really low and you've given you know one and then another 500 mils quickly and it's not coming up, then you're going to need to get a lot more help. Yeah. Other c- considerations then. If you're giving lots of fluids, what do you need to watch out for? Oh, you don't want to like drown them. Like- no, drowning <laughs> is bad. So things like pulmonary edema. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a complication of giving excessive amounts of fluid, especially in those with risk factors, heart and kidney failure, or elderly patients, and cerebral edema. Oh, like fluid on the brain. So around the brain. Fluid inside the brain cells, more like 
So if you think about when you get very dehydrated, you can be very uh, dry in your intravascular volume. So Mm -hmm. you can have not much fluid in there, but you can also be dehydrated in your cells as well. And remember, if you're giving lots of fluid, water can want to move back to where there's high concentrations through osmosis. So it's going to like flood into the cells. Yeah, so it can move into your brain cells, essentially. They'll swell up and that cerebral edema can be very damaging then. Oh, yeah. I've not really thought of what cerebral edema actually was, so that was useful. There you are. Um, other things you can consider are things like VTE prophylaxis, so they're a bit prone to clotting if they're hyperglycemic, um, and other things, sodium bicarbonate, uh, people might talk about. It's quite a controversial subject when it comes to combating their acidosis. So, you know, I would have a read around that, but it's certainly not going to be the first thing you reach to. So what is going to be another first thing you reach to, though? So you've talked about fluids. What else? Well, insulin. Yeah. They're, di- they're diabetic. They, they can't create their own insulin, and they've got loads and loads and loads of sugar. They're going to need some insulin. Absolutely. So we use what's called a fixed-rate insulin infusion. Mm-hmm. So it starts at 0.1 unit per kilo per hour, but you might have some local protocols that you might want to follow. Um and if it's important to know if they're on a long-acting insulin, so things like insulin glargine, um, you should continue that as we as you would normal, normally. Sorry, um, your aims then, once their glucose falls below fourteen millimoles, what should you start doing? Do you need to give them glucose? Yeah. So it seems very weird. It seems very <laughs> counterintuitive that they've yeah. got hyperglycemia. But and even 14 millimoles is quite high glucose. Yeah. But you're giving this sort of constant fixed rate of insulin. You and don't want to so, push them into hypo into a hypo, I guess. Ex- absolutely. So you need to give some glucose as well at that time. Yeah. Because if you think about it, these patients um, might have very much depleted stores as well mm. of uh, of glycogen. So you're going to be building them back up as well. Yeah. Okay. So. The other thing to think about is, God, when you give insulin, mm-hmm. what happens to our electrolytes such as potassium? Uh, insulin makes potassium move into your cells. It does. So you can lower the amount that you've got in your blood so you can become hypokalemic. Yeah, hypokalemic, low potassium. In fact, uh, insulin can be a treatment for hyperkalemia, so high potassium can be treated with insulin. Mm-hmm. Um so, yes, yeah, so you need to be really careful about monitoring their potassium levels. And when you're giving those fluids, make sure that some of them have potassium in them. And yeah. if you need to give lots of potassium and their potassium is very low and it's all getting very worrying, you need to think about getting critical care involved and how much potassium you can give them quickly. Hmm. Okay, so when do we then stop this fixed rate insulin infusion? We get them on it, we're all happy, they start getting better, their metabolic derangement comes under control, they seem to be better, but they're still on this insulin infusion. When should we put them back on their normal insulin? Um, when when they're eating and drinking? Like when, when they're going about their normal? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're hooked up to this infusion, but when they yeah when they start eating and drinking normally again, and all of these metabolic problems have been resolved, yeah, you're going to want to start putting them back on their subcutaneous insulin. And just remember, their long-acting insulin, we kept going if they were on that to start with. And I guess they may need a review of their medication in respect that if they were taking their medication and they went into DKA, maybe they weren't on the right amount of insulin. Absolutely. So education is the other key point here that 
these patients might need you know good talking to about understanding why this happened initially what went wrong here because you know it's it's something to do with the management of their diabetes and if it's type one they're going to certainly have lived with it for a long time and you need to get on top of managing it well so some education there that can go a long way as well i have met some young patients in a and e who have told me that they've really struggled with having diabetes and having to you know be different to their friends and taking injections and all those sorts of things so i think education is definitely something to think about yeah it's really important to consider how having diabetes impacts people's lives as well absolutely so is that everything yeah that's everything you need to know about diabetic ketoacidosis all of that all of that complex pathophysiology and everything yeah so we've sort of now we understand how they might present how diabetes works how your metabolism should work normally yep how when it doesn't work it drives you into diabetic ketoacidosis and all those factors that can precipitate that as well and now i think i could even have a go at answering some questions about management as well so that's really really good yeah i've learned again i've learned loads so thank you for that that's all right um thank you everyone for listening to our podcast i hope you've all learned a lot about dka as well um if you want to follow up with checking out our free pdf which you can download on our website um it's got everything we've talked about in today's podcast um and you can find it on www.medicolifestyle.com And I hope you tune in for the next episode.